It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon and welcome to Talent Talk. It's Tuesday, it's 1 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We are here, we are live uh, on the show. And thank you so much for joining us here today. We have two wonderful guests. Uh, we'll first have uh, Francesca Gino, a Tandon family professor of business administration at uh, that little small university you might have heard of, uh, Harvard Business School. And then we'll bring in, after the commercial break, Sean Andrews, uh, founder and CEO of Andrews, Andrews Research uh, International. You know, in case this is the first time you happen to be tuning into the show, you know, welcome. i kind of give you a little rundown on, you know, how this works, why we're doing the show. Um, you know, I have the, the, the privilege of meeting so many inspiring leaders, talking to so many thought leaders and people who are thinking about talent, thinking about how businesses run and, and really making great culture and love to have conversations and pick their brains and learn everything that I can. Um, and so as we uh, started to do more and more of this, it kind of turned into something that we were sharing with everyone else. Instead of me being the only one who got to hear all these cool things, um, wanted to make sure that everyone else out there who wanted to could tune in and hear the advice, hear the things they're thinking about, read the books that maybe their peers are thinking about or reading. Um, and so this show is really, really dedicated to that thought that we can have a conversation here today and hopefully share some some things that you can take away into your own, your business, your organizations, uh, even back home uh, in with the family. We've had uh, advice all, all across the board. So uh, love to have you check us out. Uh, if you don't listen live, you, a lot of you come in after the fact and find us on iTunes, uh, listen to us on iHeartRadio or Podbean, uh, Spotify. We're all over the place. Over 10,000 of you a day are downloading and one or more of our shows. And that is just awesome and fantastic and really appreciate everyone doing that. Um, we do live tweet the show, so if you want to be a part of the action, you can tweet your comments, your questions, whether it's live or after the fact. And we love to keep uh, our guests on their toes and have people uh, send them their thoughts and questions. And certainly we love to hear from you as well and what you're thinking about the show. Uh, have you subscribe and rate us on iTunes or wherever you're finding us. I uh, really appreciate it. But let's go ahead and get to my guests and get to the show, uh, which is the, the real reason we're here. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and bring in my uh, first guest, uh, Francesca. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself uh, and what's important for us to know about you and, of course, what you're doing over there at Harvard. <laughs> I am a professor at Harvard University, at Harvard Business School in particular. So I 
I teach courses on leadership and decision-making and negotiation. And a lot of the research that I do is, and what I really do in, in my time at HBS, in addition to teaching, is spending time in organizations to really look at how we behave and what kind of decisions we make. And I try to pay attention to some interesting puzzles, um, maybe behaviors that seem to make little sense, and then I go and do research to try to explain them. Well, that really sounds fascinating. That's the kind of thing I would be right up my alley. Um, and <laughs> so uh, I'm really going to be interested to kind of, I guess, pick your brain here and learn a little bit more about what you're thinking about. You know, as a professor of business, you obviously are preparing students to engage in constantly changing uh, business culture and landscape along with everything else that you talked about. I mean, we could kind of start with that part of it. Uh, what what is it that you find drives students about their futures as business leaders? What are you seeing, you know, with the current kind of wave of, of young people in college? Harvard Business School has a very specific mission that the students are very aware of when they come in uh, for their MBA program. And the mission is to educate leaders who make a difference in the world. And a lot of the students that I have the opportunity to talk to actually come through the program, this two-year program, really thinking about these questions quite carefully. And so I think that for a lot of them, the program is almost transformational because they go through all sorts of classes that really trigger some reflection on the question, on the really big question uh, of what kind of a difference can I make in the work that I'm going to do after school. And so independent of the industry that they choose, I think this is a question that for a lot of the students is on their mind. And uh, we don't specify it, but hopefully it's a positive difference in the world rather than a, a negative one. Yeah, and so are, are there things that are on students' minds right now? I mean, you said that they have that mission, of, which is certainly very clear, but, you know, as they're sort of, I guess, navigating their way through life through and through their education, do you find that they are particularly focused on, you know, any certain things, good or bad? A lot of the students say that they want jobs uh, that mm, – allow them to grow and learn and where they can really find their passion. So I think that they, the students, like many other people outside of Harvard Business School, are very, very familiar with the data on disengagement. And if you look at it, it's pretty striking. So for most people, work is not a source of happiness or satisfaction, rather is a source of frustration. So if we were to summarize it, worse sucks for many people. And so I think they're aware of, of this data and they're looking for a way of making sure that they choose jobs that, that um, not only allow them to use their competencies, but also that present challenges and allow them to grow in a way that makes them engage um, in the work that they do. So what are some of the big things that you're really focusing in on uh, in your research right now? There are a couple of themes. One is very much related to the work that I've done with my latest book, Rebel Talent. So there are all sorts of questions that um, organizations I've visited to present this work have asked or even friends and colleagues who read the book asked questions that I hadn't had the chance to explore. Uh, so I'm doing some more research on 
how a rule breaking can be constructive rather than destructive. And then I'm also quite interested in understanding how people work effectively together. So a lot of the challenges that I see organizations face is uh, the world is becoming more complex. The type of problem that we are asked to solve are always much more difficult. And so we are asked to come together with people in other places in our organizations and try to work together effectively to get things done or to solve these problems. And it's actually quite a challenge. <laughs> Most people would rather work by themselves or think of collaboration as a complete waste of time. And so I'm kind of curious about what really makes collaboration go smoothly and what it is that, that we stand to learn from people who seem to be natural collaborators. Yeah, it's fascinating. And, and, and how do you think that that type of work or that type of research, is that something that, you know, I guess the future business leader will be important to them or... You are, are, or do you think they're thinking about different types of things? So a lot of my research is motivated by the questions that I hear leaders and employees ask. So the question around collaboration is actually one that was motivated by several different discussions that I had with different organizations who, that are basically trying to understand um, the question of how is it that you can really break down silos in a way that creates effective collaboration that can be sustained over time. And so it's a tough problem, I, I think, to really try to figure out because often, especially in big organizations, these collaborations happen among people who really don't know each other that well. So. The collaboration requires honesty, requires uh, trust, it requires almost a lack of ego. And especially when you have very experienced people, those are tough things <laughs> to accomplish. Right, right. Well, and I love uh, uh, your, you started to mention your book, uh, Rebel Talent, Why It Pays to Break the Rules at Work and in Life. And this really resonated with me because I have found that um, being a person who has always viewed rules as a guideline more than a fixed uh, thing. <laughs> um, and I've noticed that other people who have been successful in the business life have tended to view rules this way as not black and white, as more guidelines. And there are times when you should break the rules or there's exceptions to to the rules and, and to not look at rules that's so, you know, like I said, black and white. Um, is, is that essentially is it some some of what you're getting the point you're getting to, or are there other things that we should be thinking about as well as we think about rules inside of our organizations? Yeah, you captured a, a really important aspect and message of the book. What I've tried to do in the book is to basically make the argument that we think about rebels the wrong way. We seem to have a very fixed idea of rebels in the business world. So people usually think of um, leaders like Apple visionary Steve Jobs. And these rebels, at least the stories go, are very creative, uh, they're very innovative, but they're also difficult to work with. Sometimes they're even defined as, um, or talked about as control freaks who create chaos, people that you really rather not have as a boss or, a, or as an employee. And the book 
uh, suggest that we need to shift our thinking. To be a rebel does not mean to be an outcast or a troublemaker. Effective rebels are people who break rules in ways that are rather positive and productive. And so uh, rebels are people who really challenge the status quo and break rules who hold them and others back. So it's really rules that should be questioned and, and broken. So do you think that then the, uh, is there sort of a, a difference in how the um, uh, maybe older executives are viewing this uh, sort of phenomenon versus our younger generation? Or are they generally the same? They're just, it's more of that, how do you categorize, you know, uh, uh, those types of people? It's interesting. I've been studying rebels for over a decade, and I think I've met rebels of all sorts of ages. I think there is a general fear that breaking rules is uh, uncomfortable at times, or people sometimes believe that, that it backfires. Uh, but it doesn't have to be, to, to be that way, especially when done right. So what I do in the book is uh, tell a lot of stories of businesses and leaders that I had the chance to study in detail, as well as the research that I've done around the topic, to really try to identify what's the secret recipe that makes these rebels successful. And so I talk about five talents that these people have. And hopefully through the examples um, this shifting that I was talking about earlier happens much more easily. So I'll give you an example of a person that was really inspiring, and so some of the stories in the book are about him. It's, um, um, his name is uh, Massimo Bottura, and he's a chef who owns a three Michelin star restaurant in Italy that in 2016 became the best restaurant in the world. And also this year, in 2019, they were again uh, back at the top of the list. And what is re really interesting about him is that he basically went to traditional Italian dishes, studied them very carefully, and then reinvented the recipes and came out with his own spin. And if you were to look at some of his dishes, they really look nothing like the traditional type of dishes I grew up with being Italian. And his story is one of a person who clearly went against the status quo in a context where you're really not supposed to mess up with tradition because, as you might know, Italians are very uh, protective of their tradition, especially when it comes to cooking, and yet it's been very successful. And so he was quite courageous in what he did and persistent, and he reached the success. So he's a perfect example of a person who went to tradition to what most people take for granted and started asking questions. So he would look at traditional dishes and say, maybe 50 years ago it made sense to cook a dish this way, but not now. So why is it that we don't think about this more carefully and we come up with a new recipe uh, or a new different way of cooking the same dish? And so that's a perfect example of a rebel, a person who uh, broke away from tradition, in a sense broke the rules, but in a way that was constructive rather than destructive. So would you categorize this? Is this an example of what you talk about from a creative rebellion standpoint? Exactly. So a person who broke the rules uh, in a way that really generated something, something positive, uh, in this case for his business, but also you could think about it in terms of society more broadly. And some of the examples and stories that I tell in the books are probably stories of people 
we might not think of as rebels at first. So, for example, one of the talents that rebels seem to share is a talent for perspective. This ability to always look at problems from multiple angles, from multiple perspectives, rather than just one, usually our own. And the story that I tell um, when I talk about perspective is the story of Captain Sally Salenberger, the captain who, uh, who on a cold January night uh, ditched a plane in the Hudson River back in 2009. And his story is really an important one because if you were to look at the transcript from the accident, in a situation where he was under a lot of pressure, he had very little time, he was able to keep his mind open and consider all sorts of options. So he really was using multiple perspectives to look at a problem when most of us would have just gone to the most obvious answer, which probably was to land at the nearest airport. And so he's also a great example of a rebel because in a moment of high stress, where our options tend to narrow because of our human nature, he was able to keep his mind open and consider different perspectives. Yeah, and I love that example. I mean, that's somebody who had probably a ton of training, right? A ton of experience mm -hmm. and was able to blend that along with his ability to to take in whatever data was coming in and make the right decision based on all those factors um, and not just maybe the one that's in the rule book, not just the one that's, you know, you're supposed to do, but, uh, you know, what's the best move to make sure that nobody dies right now? I mean, that's uh, and that's a pretty important <laughs> category that maybe exactly. most of us don't have to think about, right? And, and what you said is really an important factor. After reading the accident reports, I reached out to him since I really wanted to interview him. And one of the things that I've learned, as you said, is that by the time the accident happened, he had a ton of experience. He had uh, over 30,000 hours of flying experience. He uh, had started in the military, in the Air Force, so he had experience flying all sorts of planes. He also served as a voluntary to study accidents in the past. So, so a person who had really a lot of experience. And yet, as he told me, every time he walked on a plane, he would always ask himself what could be different in this particular flight. And he's a person who seems to be very dedicated to learning and has a lot of humility in such a way that is able to not think about the experience that he has as a way of saying, I know it all, but rather he thinks about the experience as he, that he has as a way of saying there is more to learn. And that's really what <laughs> can keep us uh, with humility and with a learning perspective uh, when we approach new situations. So, you know, are there other things that we can learn that we can take from those types of creative rebellions? You know, how, how do we start that? How do we, you know, if someone that's not a part of their DNA, how do they start thinking that way or beginning to implement some of that into their lives? For me, uh, living like a rebel is a matter of trying very little things. So when I talk about these different talents in the book, I try to give little tips in terms of the small things that we can change in our life. Uh, and at work in order for us to really embrace these talents. But it also requires a broader commitment to exploring ways of being in the world that may at first feel uncomfortable or even wrong at times. And so 
one of the things that I think is potentially helpful is first to understand where we're at. So if people are interested, there is a rebel assessment. So if people go to the book website, which is rebeltalents.org, they can find a free assessment with a few questions where they can learn which type of rebel they are. And so it's a good starting point so that you understand which type of talents come easily to you versus talents that, that you might have to work on a little bit harder. And then I also developed a, a set of guidelines. So it's a, a document called um, Breaking Rules for Seven Days. And I tried it. It was quite interesting of an experience. And if people who try it are like me, after trying the rebel life, you won't want to go back. So it was quite exciting to live like a rebel uh, for a few days. And so I decided to make it more of an effort to learn how to be a rebel more often. Well, it's great stuff. And I think anytime we do things like this to get ourselves out of the rut, out of our normal ways in which we act, we can find better ways, to, more solutions. Or, you know, maybe you're not going to do this all the time if that's not your, your sort of your way, but you might learn something that can really help you in particular situations. Um, or you might just find a whole new way of living, as it sounds like maybe you, you did after those seven days. Um, well, we're almost out of time. I want to make sure we ask our two favorite questions. And the first one is, is, is there an app or a gadget that you've recently added to your life that you could share with us? <laughs> there are uh, actually gadgets or apps that I try to remove. So I'm married to a gadget person. My husband is <laughs> a complete geek. So he's the one who tries to bring in all sorts of technology, and I'm the one who tries to hide the technology away. <laughs> Well, that's good. That's good. I guess uh, the streamlining process. And then what about a book? Is there a book that you're reading right now that you might suggest uh, people check out? Um, certainly, we yeah. hope they'll check out uh, your book, uh, Rebel Talent. But if, yeah, aside from that one, what else should they be thinking about? Yeah, so it's um, uh, one of the events I recently was part of where I talked about a book was, uh, to my surprise, an event where the two other authors who were there were actually uh, novelists. And so I picked up their books, and the one that I'm reading now, which is really fabulous, is titled Everything Here is Beautiful. And it's a novel by Mira T. Lee, uh, is from Cambridge, and um, it's a really fantastic story about two sisters, uh, one with um, an, a serious illness, but uh, she finds a way to live quite a fulfilling life. So it's a almost the gut-wrenching story of the sacrifices that we make to truly love someone, and I, I'm really enjoying it. So that's what I'm reading right now. Well, how can people get a hold of you or learn more about your book or uh, give me get the website again? What's the best way for them to you know, find out more if they're, they're curious about the things that you're doing? So I would visit the website, uh, rebeltalents.org. They're going to find lots of information about me, the book, and also ways in which they can connect us. So I'm always happy to answer questions or engage in conversations about rebelliousness. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much for being a part of the show today and giving us so many great things to think about and so much uh, worthwhile information. Hopefully we have you come back at some point and give us uh, an update on all the cool things that you're doing. <laughs> thank you. And thank you so much for having me. It was fun all to right. talk to you. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break with my second guest, Sean Andrews. 
Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When you use the Premier Rewards Gold Card from American Express, the rewards points can keep on multiplying. Buy three with triple points on airfare. Buy two with double points on gas and groceries. And a single point for pretty much every other dollar you spend on the card. Then, start choosing from over a million rewards to redeem all those points. Apply today and the annual fee for the first year is on us. Call 1-800-AXP-GOLD or visit AXPGOLD.com. The annual fee for the card is $175. See terms, conditions, and restrictions at AXPGOLD.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. If you missed my first guest, uh, Francesca Gino, uh, she's an author of uh, Rebel Talent and also a uh, professor over at the Harvard Business School. Appreciate her being on the show. Don't forget, you can catch that uh, show and, uh, and the interview we're about to have on iTunes. You can listen to it on iHeartRadio. You can do uh, talenttalkradio.com. There's really no excuse. We're everywhere. So check us out. Uh, love to have you continue that conversation with us on uh, Twitter. Just send your tweets to at PeopleG2. Use that hashtag Talent Talk. My producer, Mike, would uh, love to get those in for me to try to feed them in for our next guest, who happens to be Sean Andrews, the founder and CEO of Andrews Research International. Um, Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Chris. It's a pleasure. Why don't you tell everyone about yourself and, of course, uh, what your what your company does, what's important for us to know for our conversation today. All right. So uh, my background is actually uh, 20 years in the corporate world, specifically in the pharmaceutical industry, a uh, combination of sales as well as training and development roles um, while I was in pharma. But for the last four years, I've actually uh, had my own business as a a uh, professional speaker, a consultant. Uh, I facilitate workshops for corporations and clients. And then I also have a book that just launched in uh, March, uh, what's called The Power of Perception, Leadership, Emotional Intelligence, and the Gender Divide. And that book is actually based on my dissertation research, uh, which I just completed in 2013. So it's all hot off the presses. It's all new. And so now my entire business is focused on... Um, talent, since this, this is the Talent Talk show, I thought it'd be appropriate to be with you today, but uh, it's focused, it's about uh, managing talent, it's, it's, it's helping um, 
help address the global leadership gender gap and why we don't see more women leading and what we can do to help businesses uh, not only be more diverse and inclusive, but also to better manage their talent. And we're certainly going to dive into that book. Uh, it sounds a fascinating topic. I thought we would start with a little little broader uh, maybe question and maybe ask you what you're seeing as some of the overall trends in leadership development um, you know that companies are looking at or maybe some other areas at, that you are working with uh, as it relates to leadership development with uh, organizations. Yeah, that's actually it's an excellent question. Um, there are a few trends that I am seeing and f- fortunately this is the space that I'm living in right now and it's um, gender is, is certainly a big topic. Um, you know, there's 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 been affinity groups or ERGs for quite a while for for different you know populations and in, in the workforce, but uh, there's been more and more focus just in the last few years on specifically on the women in leadership and and having more gender balanced leadership. So I definitely see that as a trend. Uh, I I definitely see and hear a lot about diversity inclusion, like we all do, and I think companies are. More and more companies are coming on board to try and be more diverse and inclusive for their workforces. Um, I'm finding many don't know what to do, but they sure they certainly have a desire to be more inclusive. And so that's a trend. Um, and then uh, another trend I would add to that related is actually with bias, unconscious bias. And just in the last few years, that has exploded, and more companies have invested you know millions of dollars into unconscious bias training and workshops for their their leadership and their management uh, teams and their workforces as a whole to try and address um, you know unconscious biases in the workplace. Well, and that's. Uh Really great to hear. That was one of the things in, in my book that came out in February I talked about was all those cognitive biases that just seem to be wrecking havoc in people's lives, whether at work or not. Um, and yet we just don't seem to be talking about it enough or doing enough about it. And yet, you know, people are sort of almost unconsciously paralyzed by some of these things and they can't, mm-hmm. they don't even know they're happening, right? They don't even know that they're maybe um, only taking in information that, you know, um, justifies their position and ignoring everything else, right? A confirmation bias or any mm-hmm. of the other ones that are out there. So, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, so talking about your book, uh, as you mentioned, is the power of perception, uh, leadership, emotional intelligence, and the gender divide. Um, you know, aside from the obvious answer of everyone, um, who, who specifically do you hope, you know, is the target audience for your book? Who, who should be reading your book and really maybe hopefully getting the most out of this for their organizations? So the book is primarily targeted to career-minded women. And so that's you know, women from early earlier in the career, you know, millennials, Gen Zs, entering just now entering the workforce, all the way to, you know, boomers who may be later in their, in their careers. Um, so it's, the meat of the, the the core of the book addresses all the barriers. It's the reasons why we don't see more women leading. And so that's really the core of it. And so any career-minded wo- woman um, well, could, could, would benefit from, you know, re- being aware of the barriers and um, talk, the different examples and then the strategies. What can they do to address those barriers and help advance their career? But that's, that's the main audience. But then there's also a secondary audience, and that is men and organizations as a whole. And and there's one chapter where I speak specifically to CEOs and specifically to men, because men are critically important uh, to the process. We we will not get anywhere close to gender parity without men. And so we need men's help. And so um, 
I outlined sev- several things that men can do to be to be a partner and be an advocate. Um, but yeah, we do. We definitely need men on board. Um, and then I also mentioned I, I address the CEOs and HR as well, and talk about uh, many things that that organizations can do to to be more in- diverse and inclusive um, in their you know processes processes and strategies they can put in place too to help be more inclusive. So certainly to get you know we've dug ourselves a hole and to get out of this hole, I think as you've said, we we, we need. Um, probably different things, different approaches from women. We need certainly help from men uh, as well to make this a priority and make this uh, something that organizations take seriously and, and really work to, to improve. But do you think there's any underlying, whether it's unconscious or sort of, you know, baseline things that are happening that are differences between men and women or societal influences? Or, you know, what are those sort of background things happening that maybe helped us get to this you know, hole that we're stuck in right now. Yeah. Uh, well, there's all kinds of background things happening, actually. Um, so, so one you have, so it's funny. So let me just preface this by saying, I used to think that men and women actually had more in common than, than we didn't, you know, especially when it comes to work, you know, it's about mm-hmm. talents, it's about strengths, it's about competencies, all that, you know, and for the most part, we're like, the more I dug into the research, not only my own research, but the research of others in these areas, the more more I realize that we have different approaches to virtually every aspect of work and life. Uh, so I'll give an example of that. So we're, we're hardwired differently in our brains. And so I talk about that in the book. And uh, just for the sake of time, I won't go into the neuro, uh, you know, anatomy differences, but um, we are socialized differently, which starts at birth, and we carry those behaviors and messages into the workplace as adults. And it starts at, and the, by the uh, pink or blue blankets that we're wrapped in. You know, we're treated mm-hmm. differently by parents. Um, that's that um, our socialization is expectations on how men and women should behave in society. And we get those messages from teachers, from our classmates we get it from tv books magazines cartoons it's everywhere and so we're constantly bombarded by these messages and we're told how we should behave as men and women but what i find really fascinating is these subtle behaviors show up every single day at work and home and we have differences in how we approach meetings and how we like to work within an organizational structure how we take risks how we communicate how we uh how we collaborate, how we work in teams, how we lead, virtually every aspect of business is different because of how we're socialized. Yeah, and, you know, I read a really fascinating book called Sapiens recently, and, you know, the author kind of went through this entire, um, you know, overview of of sort of culture to culture, and yet it seems like by default we somehow end up with um, these, you know, kind of groupings where men end up being in charge. And then he didn't really have a re- he didn't have an explanation for it. It didn't have a help, you know, anything helpful to help us untangle it other than to say this is sort of by default, typically how these structures end up being. Um, and so I'm one, I'm curious if you have found anything in your research that maybe outside of, of how we start with our kids um, and how they're essentially socialized. Is there anything else we can do today inside of our organizations to to start to make changes there or to start to, to make sure that we are putting the right put person forward regardless of whether or not, you know, they're a man or a woman or, or things like that? Yeah, well, the the and I refer to them as barriers. They're multifactorial. There's, there's different barriers. So, 
um, uh, let's go back to bias. So addressing our mm -hmm. bias is one barrier, and and it's not the subtle biases. It's the it's uh, excuse me. It's not the overt biases we used to see in the '80s. You know, it's not the overt racism and sexism, and it's it's those subtle biases, and oftentimes they're hidden. We're completely unaware biases we hold. So we may look at a male, a male or female leader and have completely different perceptions of them as leaders. And we would also have different expectations of them. So um, I think one, the first step would be to acknowledge that we're all biased. We all bring biases into work. We all have biases in, in how we, we view leaders and how we view genders, frankly. Um, so that would be the first step. But I find that, you know, the, I give a lot of presentations on these topics, and I find that audiences are com uh, completely unaware of the subtle differences that show up at work. So uh, I'll give you an example, Chris, if you'd like. Um, when it comes to meetings, let's take meetings. So, so men are raised in hierarchies. So men are taught, and, and they're taught this very early from the games that boys games games that boys play and reinforce. So men are taught to live in hierarchies and are very comfortable in hierarchies. So when it comes to meetings, men will line their ducks up in a row before the meeting happens, talking about key issues, addressing any concerns, and then when the meeting actually happens, it's really the the substance of it's already occurred. Well, in the female culture. This doesn't make any sense. And a woman doesn't know this. A woman doesn't know this is going on. So she goes to the meeting with her great ideas, expecting to dialogue with everyone. Unbeknownst to her, the meeting's already occurred. So that's just a key difference in, how, in, in just how we approach um, just one aspect of business differently. And, and I like to communicate that it's not about rights and wrongs. It's simply about differences. But we often miss each other because of these differences. So... In that particular, you know, situation, so the men are, you know, meeting before the meeting. Women don't know that. Women are often left out of the loop because, you know, the, the main points have really already been discussed. And so I like to bring awareness of these different issues to, to folks and, and let them know what they can, you know, have an awareness and then what they can do to talk about it together and, and, you know, mutually support each other. So it's a fascinating example because, you know, there this is not somewhere where the men are trying to, mm -hmm. you know, keep the woman out or to do anything negative, at least in the context of what you have, have told me. It's essentially a, a misunderstanding that, to your point, the woman in that example doesn't know what is the happening there and how to properly navigate that situation yeah. inside of that business. And so that knowledge can immediately change their ability to be effective. Yeah, um, you got it. And so that's that's something that they can learn and do, and 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 doesn't take anyone to change their behaviors. It doesn't take anyone to have to do anything any different, other than hey, I need to probably I, there's a pre-meeting happening here before the meeting. And mm -hmm. at, when you said that, it made perfect sense to me because that's exactly how I would have handled the meeting. I would have been <laughs> thinking about who might object and who needs a little bit more negotiating, and yeah. have already been doing all that stuff yeah. before the meeting because. You don't want to show up to a meeting just to have a bunch of yelling. Yeah, um, yeah. You know. <laughs> well, and, and let me help connect the dots here for your listeners. It's it's why do men do? And, and this is this is a subconscious thing for men too. Men mm -hmm. are consciously thinking, "I'm going to have a meeting before the meeting." But the reason men do this is they're because it's they want to maintain their status in the pecking order, and they also want to they they don't want to be influenced or, or embarrassed in public. And so to avoid that, they have a pre-meeting. To take care of those issues. And so in the male culture, this makes complete sense. But, you know, again, it's having the awareness. Um, and I give, I give lots of examples on how 
uh, we have differences in how we listen, how we communicate our successes and failures, how we uh, work in teams, and there's lots of examples like that about about these different approaches, and it, they often, well, they do end up in, in uh, they cause different perceptions. And so, in this particular example with the meetings, you know, a woman may be left out of the loop because she she's not familiar with the the male culture. Um, another example I give is is when it comes to even listening skills. You know, men tend to nod, and when they're in a conversation, they only nod when they're in agreement with what's being said. If you look at women in a conversation, women tend to nod continuously, and what they're saying to the speaker is, I hear you keep going. But they may not be agreeing with what's been mm. said. But right. but the perception may be, so if you look at a man, and he he's sitting there relatively stoic, he nods once or twice, the perception is he looks decisive. Okay? If a woman is nodding continuously, and I like to give this example because I'm a nodder, I completely understand this, but if women are nodding continuously saying, I hear you keep going, the assumption or the perception is that I'm agreeing with what's being said. So if I come back later and say, hey boss, and ask all these questions, clarifying questions, he may, or he or she, I should say, may perceive me, uh, or he, no, not he in this case, he may perceive me as being sub, sub, um, subordinate, insubordinate, because he assumed that I was agreeing because I was nodding, and now I'm asking all these questions. So, right. and so, is it these types of things, or are there other things at play? Um, so, if I look at an average company, there seems to be at least as many women working there in most you know, typical job settings as as, as men. Uh, in many cases, there's a lot more, and yet, when you look at management and you look at uh, senior leadership. It suddenly disappears, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where we see the biggest gaps. Um, are, are those are the factors and things that we're talking about right now to, to, to a big part of that? Or are there other factors that we haven't talked about yet that are really jeopardizing or, or keeping women from out of those uh, more senior level roles? Yeah, no, it's actually the main reason is the barriers that we're we have touched on, and, and the barriers um, it includes what's called institutional mindset. So it's your gender bias, gender stereotyping is still, you know, pervasive. Uh, you have in individual mindsets where women hold themselves back for different reasons, or they may select self-select out of the workforce. You have work-life balance issues where women are still the, uh, if they happen to be the breadwinner of their household, they're also the primary caregiver. And so you have balance issues. So that contributes to the gap. Um, and then uh, you have lifestyle issues as well. And so there's, oh, and there's also uh, access to informal networks, uh, such as the old boys network, which is still a major barrier for a lot of women. And that could be, you know, going to drink dinner or drinks after work. It could be taking a client to golf. So all of these barriers are still pervasive in our workforces today. And so until we can work together and address these barriers, we will not see women advancing to leadership in large numbers. Is there anything else that we need to do that might help that situation? I mean, I've heard you know people in HR talk for a long time about should we have resumes without names? Mm -hmm. Should we have, you know, should there be a process as you're going to hire someone that you don't know who they are, right? That you look purely at their, um, yeah. you know, the resumes. Let's say to start. Like, do we does does the funnel need to get bigger at some level before, you know, we can actually start to to solve this issue? Yeah, I find that the funnel, the, the, the issue is not so much about hiring women because there are lots of women at entry level and lots of women in the middle. But the, 
where it trickles is, as you mentioned, leadership. And, the, and what, so what happens is there's tons of women with education and experience in the middle, but they're not making it to those leadership roles because of these different barriers. Uh, so I think um, it's going to take time to address these. You know, some, some we're going to be able to action quicker than others. Uh, so yeah, so addressing the barriers. Uh, and another mm -hmm. thing to be mindful of is the type of culture that the organization has. Uh, most organizations today are still have male cultures, which are not always supportive of what women offer and bring to the table. And so acknowledging that and addressing, you know, are we being inclusive with our culture and the way we do business and the messages we send as, as a company, you know, and so looking at that as well. Well, this is uh, really fascinating and I think incredibly important for any organization out there who is looking for the right talent and want to have uh, the best people they can because they have an entire pool of yeah. people yeah. that are, probably aren't getting their just uh, due or their just um, opportunities into some of these roles that could be tremendous talents for their organizations. Um, you know, is there, what I kind of ask a couple of our favorite questions for all of our guests and um, it, and the first one is, is there an app or a gadget that you've started using recently that uh, you might share with us? Uh, um, probably not anything that some of your listeners would have experience with, but something that I recently discovered is um, I use Zoom for my conferencing, but mm -hmm. I, I've started using it on mobile and didn't realize how easy it was to schedule a call and have a conference call on my mobile versus being at my desktop. So um, so the Zoom mobile app, I would say for me, has probably been the biggest uh, helpful thing lately. Yeah, and Zoom's amazing, and it has this cool little, uh, it integrates with the calendar so well, and it just will remind you when you have a call and mm -hmm. actually start the video. It's Yeah, yeah. it's perfect. Um, what about uh, books? Is there a book that you're reading right now uh, that you might suggest we take a look at? Uh, uh, you know, uh, probably not a book. I've actually been reading a lot of leadership journals lately. And mm. the reason for that is uh, I've been, I've submitted, just submitted my original uh, dissertation research on these topics, the, the leadership, gender, emotional intelligence. I just submitted it to a, an academic journal. And so I've been, re that's mostly what I've been reading lately because I've been buried in the submission process, which I just got out last week. So uh, unfortunately, there's, there's really no books I've been reading that I could suggest to your <laughs> listeners unless they want to pick up, you know, leadership quarterly or leadership and OD journal or something like that. <laughs> Well, we certainly suggest they check check out the power of perception. Yes, uh, your book, and uh, you know how else can people get a hold of you or find out more about you? And of course, if they're interested in working with your company, Andrews Research International, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, Chris, uh, the best way is actually my website at uh, drshawnandrews.com, and there's no period, just drshawnandrews.com. Um, I've just re completely revamped it and added a lot of new resources. There's published articles for download. There's videos. There's podcast and radio interviews and um, blogs. There's a lot of things for your listeners. Um, but one thing, if I could offer, Chris, is uh, I created a, it's called the Power of Perception Workbook. And it's it's a 25-page workbook, 108 questions. And it's it's correlated to every chapter in the book. And so it's actually a working document. It's an editable PDF where folks can, it's a self-assessment where folks can deep dive on whatever topic is of interest to them, whether it's bias, whether it's, you know, emotional intelligence, whether it's leadership issues, perceptions, they can deep dive. So that's available for free download on my website as well. And of course, I'd encourage folks to connect with me on social. I'd be happy to connect. Well, Sean, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. Really uh, learned a lot. Hopefully we can have you come back and give us an update on all the great stuff that you're doing. I love that, Chris. Thanks so much.
All right, thanks everyone for being a part of the show today. Next week, my guests will include uh, Kimberly Lanier, Chief uh, Production Officer at Clear Action Continuum, and Jill Christensen, Employee Engagement Expert. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2. 